Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, where Booklist talks to book people. I'm Ronnie Curry, Associate Editor, Books for Youth, and today we have another special installment as part of our Graphic Novels in Libraries Month celebration. In addition to these podcast interviews, we have two panels of comics creators and plenty of read graphic webinars, which are all freely available on our website. In today's installment, we have the pleasure of hearing from Eliza Lane, author and illustrator of Beetle and the Hollowbones, and we have Gabby Rivera, author of Juliet Takes a Breath. Thank you to Simon & Schuster and Boom Studios for sponsoring this Shelf Care interview. Today, I'm talking to Eliza Lane. Eliza is a cartoonist, illustrator, and storyteller. She is the creator of Demon Street, a long-form fantasy webcomic for all ages. Her Halloween costumes have elicited the phrases theatrical and don't you think you're going a little overboard? And oh, we remember you from last year. Beetle and the Hollow Bones, which is out now from Simon & Schuster, is her first graphic novel. Thank you so much for joining me, Eliza. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So after that intro, I feel like I do have to ask... Assuming Halloween is not canceled this year, which I don't think it will be, um, do you have a costume picked out yet? I do. Um, my roommate and I have a horrible plan where <laughs> my roommate's going to wear a skeleton mask um, and a whole like long, elegant, um, original costume. Beautiful. And I have a ginormous pumpkin head that I wear every every couple Halloweens because I can't let it go because it's so good. <laughs> so the the inside of the I made this myself. It's made out of a um a foam carvable pumpkin head from the Michaels. Yes. And I carved my own jack-o'-lantern face in it and installed like a mesh, like a yellow mesh inside. So you can't see my uh-huh. face and I can see out of it a little bit. And then the inside of the mask is lit. And when I sit down, people cannot tell that I'm a human person. <laughs> they think that I'm a lawn ornament. And so when I move, they get very scared, which is wonderful. I wow. love doing that. Um, <laughs> The kids who get the most, little kids don't care. Little kids are so used to being put in a situation where they don't understand what's happening that they don't, it doesn't even matter to them that I'm moving. But middle schoolers are terrified of me. (laughs) That is perfect. So you are the real deal when it comes to costumes, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that that actually fits very thematically with uh, Beetle and the Hollow Bones. Do you mind telling us real quick for those who haven't read it yet what it's about? Not at all. Beetle is about a small goblin witch named Beetle, and they live in like a Halloween world. And her best friend named Blob Ghost is spiritually imprisoned inside of the local mall, which sucks and isn't a good mall. And they can't have fun in there anymore because none of the stores are good. And so in the quest to get Blob Ghost's soul untethered from the mall, they have to kind of contend with the fact that the mall is about to be bulldozed. They don't care so much that the mall is going to be torn down. She just cares about saving her friend. And as that's going on, the person who's bulldozing the mall happens to be Beetle's crushes aunt and mentor so there's a little bit of an interpersonal issue there where beetle would really love to get this girl on her side and would really love to hang out with her a lot more but she might be evil i don't know (laughs) and so at the top of your twitter page you have a banner that collects blurbs from book critics (laughs) (laughs) 
which is fabulous. If you'll indulge me, I'll, re- I'll read a few. Oh, yeah, of course. So, of course, we have Booklist, who wrote Goblin. Mm-hmm. Publishers Weekly, Goblin. Mm-hmm. Kirkus Reviews, Goblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife, of, of course, said Goblin. So critics mm-hmm. do agree, <laughs> as it says. <laughs> um, that is very good. I manually checked each review to make sure yeah. they had said Goblin <laughs> at some point. Excellent. So I, I'm sensing a connection uh, between you and Goblins here. And of course, Beetle is a Goblin. So can you talk about your history with Goblins? What are some of your Goblin influences and how did <laughs> Beetle's design come about? Yeah, I think goblins are an interesting beast. They exist all over the world in different forms. Depending on where in the world you are, there are usually goblins under some name, which I think is really cool and not something that has been culturally done to death, which was was something that I was thinking about. But mostly, I think goblins are an interesting girl to have as your protagonist. The fact of being a goblin kind of lets Beetle be weirder, more animalistic, more like cat-like, which is how a lot of little girls actually think and behave. I I see a lot of little girls in media who actually recently it's been a lot better. But when I was growing up, a lot of girls in media were either very princess-like and very good, or they were resisting the idea of being princess-like and being good. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a little bit more to say about being a girl and being like a little creature animal who, (laughs) you know, pretends to be a horse or is obsessed with bugs or is obsessed with dead things by the side of the road. I think there's like a girlness there that is really fun to explore through the lens of being a goblin, but goblin's also a really flexible category. So you could be like an elegant goblin. It's also like a Halloween creature that you don't see that much. I wanted the book to be a Halloween book and I wanted to play with Halloween creatures without like necessarily doing vampires. I have Mm. obviously nothing against vampires. (laughs) I love them, but I wanted to do a different, type of Halloween creature, one that wasn't so done. And I thought a goblin would be an interesting choice too. Yeah. Yeah. There was something very fresh about it to me. And it it kind of captures that fantasy fairy tale feel, but with with more of an edge, like like you were describing. Mm -hmm. So beyond goblin lore, can you talk about some of your other creative inspirations? Yeah, totally. I read pretty widely. I love, like lately I'm reading a lot more fantasy and sci-fi for adults. But when I was a kid, I also read whatever I could get my hands on. And I'm still drawn to works for kids. But Beetle in particular is really inspired by Dark Crystal and by Labyrinth, which I think is my biggest goblin influence because they're so weird and interesting. But it's also kind of bringing in other stuff. In particular, I'm really inspired by Discworld, which is not something that I've seen pulled in like reviews of me. So I think I hit it well. (laughs) But everything about witches in Beetle is heavily inspired by the way that Discworld witches work. I'm also super inspired by anime and particularly like Sailor Moon and actually uh, Little Witch Academia, which came out maybe like five years ago, which is one of my one of my favorite series because it kind of it plays with the witch stuff and is, is just a super fun and cute and engaging piece of media that is is super girl focused, which I love to see. I love to see media where all of the major characters are are girls. And uh, I actually got asked about that by a reviewer recently, um, or by an interviewer. Why aren't there any boys in your book? And I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> because once you make all of the important characters girls, there aren't any room left. <laughs> There's no room. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. 
Unfortunately, we are out of time. I do like to ask, though, for the sake of, of the comics um, world, um, if there are any, other than Demon Street, any other web comics out there that um, you can recommend to our listeners? Oh, totally. I think the main one that I would recommend is probably Paranatural. My friend Zach Morrison does Paranatural, and it is probably one of the most... It's, it's, I think, the funniest thing I've ever read. <laughs> it's about kids in middle school who have powers, and they kind of get inducted into a uh, society that is dealing with an ancient evil that sleeps under their, under their town. It is legitimately the laugh a minute, like the snappy joke telling of Beetle is entirely inspired mm-hmm. by Paranatural. It's so funny. And Paranatural also leans into everything that is really fun for a kid to read like the thing that happens in the story is always going to be the coolest thing you could think of and it's it's always paying itself off in a really satisfying way even though the story is is ongoing so that's definitely the the main one that i would recommend awesome that sounds very much like my jam so i will definitely be checking that out everyone else should too thank you so much eliza for chatting with me this was short but very fun yeah thanks for having me Gabby Rivera is a Bronx-born queer Puerto Rican babe on a mission to create the wildest, most fun stories ever. I did not write this. (laughs) She was, but I like it. (laughs) She was the first Latina to write for Marvel Comics, penning the solo series America about America Chavez, a portal-punching queer Latina powerhouse. In 2017, Gabby was named one of the top comic creators by the Sci-Fi Network and one of NBC's Pride 30 innovators. Her debut novel, Juliet Takes a Breath, was republished in 2019 by Penguin Random House and is now being adapted into a graphic novel available this November from Boom Studios. Gabby now makes magic on both coasts, currently residing in California. She writes for all the sweet baby queers and her mom. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gabby. Oh, Ronnie, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And so if you don't mind, for those who are not yet familiar, can you just start by introducing Juliet? What's it about? Yes, it is about a 19-year-old queer, chubby Puerto Rican girl named Milagros Palante. And it's about the summer of her 19th year where she explores feminism through an internship with her favorite author, Harlow Brisbane, author of Raging Flower, Empowering Your Pussy by Empowering Your Mind. And so Julia embarks on a wild internship with her after coming out to her Puerto Rican family, and she spends the summer in Portland, Oregon. For the graphic novel adaptation, you got to collaborate with artist Celia Moscote. And given that this feels like a pretty personal story with themes of identity and, and coming of age and family, was it hard to kind of hand it over to somebody else? You know... Yes and no, right? Like I have had Juliet in my life for like over a decade now, you know? Uh, We indie published in 2016, but I had been working on her for many years beforehand. And so when it came time to do the graphic novel, I was actually excited to have someone like Celia come in and just offer, you know, a fresh take on everything. And uh, see what she was able to turn the scenes into. And just like how she envisioned the landscapes and just the narrative itself. So 
yes, it was a little intimidating to like share this world of Julia takes a breath with somebody else, but ultimately like it was perfect. And sometimes you just got to know when to like open up and let go. Did you and Celia have much back and forth or was it more of just a handoff and you do your thing? Well, at the time uh, I was working on BB Free with Boom Studios. And so there was like a lot of stuff going on. So at one point, Celia just had the book and was kind of (laughs) working through it. And I was working on the narrative, right? And like the flow of the graphic novel because... A graphic novel is going to read differently. And like each time that I get a chance to reimagine or re-put out Juliet, I love the idea of like opening it up and trying little things that are new here and there. And like at every turn, also giving Juliet more power and more agency. So while I was trying to figure out the plot and the timeline magic, Celia had the text and was working on like the artistry, you know? So get, get, I mean, you know, as well as anyone that, that graphic um, is quite a different experience from prose. Is there anything that you think really stood out in, in the graphic adaptation? Something that was added that just wasn't there before? Well, one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to do was definitely like in the novel itself Harlow takes up so much room right like rightfully so in a sense because that's the purpose of her character she is the amount you know the epitome of like hippie white feminism right so she takes up a lot of space but in the graphic novel I wanted to shift that and not have Harlow take up as much space without lessening the impact of how she like, you know, ultimately racializes Juliet and like causes a big stir up in their relationship. So that was one thing I definitely wanted to do and give Juliet more room to make stronger decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first version of the prose novel came out in 2016. Yes. And then again in 2019 with Penguin Random House. And now it's late 2020. So obviously a lot has changed in the world in the last five years. Um, A lot has changed in the last five days. Lord. (laughs) (laughs) This is the year that just doesn't, it just won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid to to look. Listen, I'm ready. I'm getting ready for the zombies and the aliens because literally they're the (laughs) last ones that haven't, they're late to the party at this point. Uh That's wise. (laughs) I think that's wise. But can you speak a little bit more about how your view of, of the story, of Juliet's story, has changed? And if there's anything kind of more specific that, that changed in the most recent version because of that? Sure. I mean, with Juliet Takes a Breath, you know, that was my first novel. I started writing it when I was like 23, 24. Identity, politics, and issues of like gender, and just all sorts of conversations that we're having now on Twitter and 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 in the the discourse academic and like otherwise right weren't really like a part of her world you know so that original iteration of it could always be like expanded you know what I mean like for sure yeah. it was the best I could do at the time to like allow space for Juliet to have all of these questions about the world around her and so as I look not just in the last five years, but in like a decade, what have I learned? Who would Juliet be now? You know, I can't change and I won't change the book completely because there's definitely room for folks who are 
just stepping into their power and just stepping into deconstructing the world around them, you know, when it comes to race and gender and sexuality and ability and just all the things. But yeah, kind of like I said, I wanted Juliet to have more moments to shine and to like really take on a moment where she's like, no, this is wrong. And I will not let you racialize me and I will use my voice And I don't need you to have my self-love, determined, revelation, happy ending. You know, the ending is different in many ways. And that, I think, for folks who have read the original version of Juliet, I think that's going to be one of the reasons why y'all definitely have to come through and pick up this graphic Mm -hmm. novel, because the ending has shifted in a way that I think is so much fun and so pure and real and speaks to what I think young girls of color right now like speaks to the agency that we have now, given all the work that has been done in the last like 20 or so years. Speaking more generally now, what are some of your biggest creative inspirations, whether it relates to Juliet or just you as a, as a creator? I mean, I, I say this all the time. Like my biggest inspirations are my friends who are putting their work and their energies and their, magic out into the world. I'm always giving big love to my friend Junata Petras, who is an activist and an artist and a writer out of Minneapolis. Um, You know, she's got one of the most gorgeous books, uh, The Stars and the Blackness Between Us. That is just such a deep love story between two Black girls and also a book that explores what it means to see as a young black kid, older black folks incarcerated and working in the, the, the system in that way. You know, I also am always going to love the work of the unapologetic street series, Joanna Toruño. She's a street artist who puts up different murals and different like posters with poetry and politics up on the streets even during COVID at this point. (laughs) Yeah, Jessica Salgado, who is just like one of the top poets right now coming out of LA. Like there's so much inspiration. There's so many folks that are doing incredible work. My friend Lorraine Avilla, who wrote Malcriada, she's working with Zahira Kelly to put together like a trippy Black people on shrooms talking to the ancestors graphic novel. Like, So there's just a lot of good energy in the middle of all of this. There's a lot of good creative energy everywhere. Sadly, that is all the time we have, Gabby. Oh my gosh. I know. But thank you for taking the time. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you again to Eliza and Gabby for joining us today. And thanks once more to our sponsors, Simon & Schuster and Boom Studios for making these interviews possible. Happy reading, everybody.